and welcome to Security and Secure, hosted by Johnny Seifert. This is the Celebrity Mental Health Podcast, but I say it's okay to not be okay. And if you have the same match lead, then before we get to today's episode, please subscribe to Security and Secure after listening. If you're listening on iTunes or on Spotify, click that subscribe button, leave that five-star rating, and leave that review. It's so important we keep spreading the word, it's okay to not be okay. So let me tell you about my guest today. This is a bit of a different episode of Security Insecure as I'm launching the Security Insecure book club. And this is where I get to talk to some of my favourite authors every fortnight about their mental health themes in their latest novels. And for this episode, you're going to hear my conversation with Amanda Prowse, who after 12 years of writing books has written her best book yet, All Good Things, which Mm -hmm. is out to buy now. So without further ado, I'm delighted to welcome back to Security Insecure my friend, the role model, the queen of emotional drama, and author, it's Amanda Browse. Well, that was a lovely intro. Goodness me, thank you. Well, you know you're my OG. You know you're my favourite. No, and you know, it's just always such a pleasure to talk to you. I mean, you know, we should say that actually we probably have more gossip off the air, don't we? Just chatting and chatting. We could chat for days, I think. Well, we do go to some amazing lunches. There was a time we went for a Chinese and you told me you do not eat duck pancakes. The duck pancakes came along. I got so excited. You go, <laughs> I don't eat duck pancakes. I'm like, what do you mean you don't eat duck pancakes? You're a friend. And you don't eat duck pancakes. How do you end it up in my sphere? Just one of those things. But I did. I went hard on the vegetarian. It was fantastic. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah, I didn't realise that at that point. But um, since then, we have gone for more vegetarian food. Now, look, we've got to talk about all good things. And what I'm going to do in this series is look at the mental health themes that come out of your book. But to get there, we need to understand what the book is. And it's it's interesting because you've written so many books over the past 12 years and they've always been focused on one character, be it Poppy or Hitch or obviously my favourite book, Theo. This time, this book has, I would say arguably, 14 characters have all got their own journeys. And it's the first time you've done it like that, that all 14 have basically a book for themselves. So talk to me about what the book is and what you were, the messages you were trying to get across in it. You're quite right. It's very different for me because usually I focus on one character and their situation. So it could be uh, something they're trying to overcome or just their story, but often it will span a lifetime, you know, a decade, whatever. This book takes place in 24 hours. So it's a really compressed time frame, which is actually great. It's quite a pacey novel, which I liked writing, but also it's a snapshot of families. And the idea came to me, we actually went out for an Italian uh, meal a couple of years ago with my family. And there was a large table just to the left of us and they were screaming and shouting and the wine was flowing. And I just thought, gosh, isn't that wonderful? Look at that celebration. Look at that closeness. And I felt quite envious. We were having quite a quiet, low-key meal. But when I looked over, there was actually three people who were shouting, three people knocking back the plonk, and at least five who were sort of a couple on their phone, some who looked acutely embarrassed, and others who were just clearly almost distressed, didn't want to be there, you know, looking down, hunched forward. And I thought, oh, that's interesting that dynamic and I just saw it for a second and thought wow wouldn't it be great to be done with that family and it was kind of for me a really good metaphor that we never know what goes on behind closed doors that everyone thinks the grass is slightly greener on the other side I certainly did particularly when I was growing up and yet it's not true all families are flawed all families face difficulties all families have to unite and overcome popularity is like a bit of a roller coaster at different times of your life And I just thought it was a really, really nice idea to write about it. 
because it's it's our truth isn't it and we're always talking about how we put you know instagram and social media is people's highlights but our reality is always very different so i thought right i'm going to write about this seemingly perfect family this seemingly perfect meal but actually each chapter told by a different character peels away another layer exposes more of the truth until by the time you get to the end of the book you realize things are actually not what you thought at all and what's interesting for those that don't know you were 38 you had a son you then met your husband he had a son you became a blended family and so if you saw your family out and about in the restaurant you'd go mum and dad two kids but you had to bring a blended family together when your son was at an age and your husband's son was at an age that they were both teenagers already when they met. And so those stories within that, there's four very different versions of what happened, similar to your book, which if you saw it from a restaurant, you go there as a family, you wouldn't get that, would you? No, and I mean, we are a family and we're a very typical modern family in that I didn't give birth to one of my kids, but I'm mum to two boys. And that my son, Joshy, would tell you all about his marvellous dad. He didn't father him, but he's his dad. It's, you know, it's very straightforward. And I think we're just representative of most families, really. I mean, when I was at school, I think there was one person in my class whose parents were divorced. I thought, oh, how exotic. I was very intrigued by, it. you know, how does it work? And it was real sort of like, I just couldn't fathom how their, the mechanics of their daily life worked. But now, of course, that's not the case. Yeah, there are many, many different forms of families. Thank goodness. You know, whether it's two mums, two dads, you know, a, a, a multiple host of, of adults parenting, whether you're in care, whatever, you can still find family. And actually, our definition of family needs to change. Family are the people who have got your back, who are looking after you. They're not necessarily the people who gave birth to you or fathered you or even your siblings, you know, uh, your chosen family, your friends, your inner circle. It's a different world now. You know, I'm 55 and it's very, very different. Thank goodness. Um, and actually, that idea of being a nuclear family, you know, with 2.4 uh, kids and eating cornflakes every morning for your breakfast and the man goes off to work and the woman stays at home. I mean, thank goodness it's not like that anymore. It was a restrictive, very narrow way of looking at the world. It's OK also not to have that chocolate box image of a family because it, it rarely exists. Oh, absolutely. And also, like you said, you can choose your family. You know you're part of my family. You love my parents a bit more than you love me. A bit awkward, but, you know. Um, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. That is the problem. It is true. It is factually true. But also, it's that thing of, I go on a journey with you each year through your books as well on the side that for that week that I'm reading your book, I get to know a bit more about you and feel I've come into your world that little bit more and so you know 12 years of writing these books and you've gone through that journey you and your home life your personal life have gone also through a journey what was the key message apart from the grass is always greener but what was the key message that you wanted to take away from having two families to look at this time around I think it's very much that you can never judge a book by its cover even mine and so very often it's important to ask honest straightforward questions about how someone's feeling about what they're going through because actually in the book, one of the loudest, happiest, smiliest characters is one of the ones who's suffering the most. So there's a young girl in the book, Domino, who's uh, 16. Her grandparents and her parents would tell you she's the sweetest, quietest, calm, studious little thing. And she's just wonderful. And it's only when you get to her chapter, you actually realise she's a, you know, a swearing, smoking, shagging being who's out there. And you think, oh, my goodness, you know, the fact that her parents and her grandparents are totally unaware that really scared me because she needs them to be aware so that they can pick her up when she falls or if ever she needs them. And it's okay to have that sort of dual life, if you like, until she gets into difficulty. 
And then who does she turn to? Never be afraid to ask deeper or wider questions and never be afraid to actually reveal your truth because that's how we will keep each other safe and how we keep an eye on each other. And it's interesting when we look at Dom and the characterization you've done for her, she is that 16 year old child who wants to be that adult. She's trapped in that child's body, trapped in having her family basically molly cuddle and suffocate her. And yet she just wants to be that adult, live in the adult world. And I think we were all 16 at a time where we were also facing that. We all just wanted to be the adult. We wanted that freedom. And now we're all adults. Or you've got to that stage where you just want to be a kid again and be nostalgic. And, you know, I was having this conversation today with someone that I still talk about people and go, so you're in the year below me. Oh, no, no, you're two years below my sister. Oh, you're the year above that person. And it's like, I'm still trapped in that. I just want to be a child again. And yet you've got a character <laughs> like Dom that wants to be an adult. And you've got this weird paradox, haven't you, that the kids want to be adults and the adults want to be kids. I think what's really sad about Dom, most of all, is that she thinks her worth lies in how she looks. She thinks her value is in how attractive she is to other people. And there's a sort of a turning point in the book where that's questioned and maybe she starts to ask deeper questions. But it just really distresses me that she's this beautiful girl with the world at her feet and she sees her value in likes and ticks and comments. And it's not about what she can achieve and happiness for herself. So I hope there's some deeper messaging there. But actually, I think I think you've hit on something because I'm 55, so I'm a lot older than you. And I find that when life is hard, when life is tough and we're facing challenges, whether it's increased cost of living, whether it's grief, whether it's, you know, whatever's at our door that we're finding hard to cope with, that's when I most want to just, you know, those days when well, I was very fortunate to come from a close, loving family where if I was feeling a bit off colour or something was happening, my mum would say, just go to bed and I'll bring you up a drink and I'll, you know, I'll open your window and we'll sit and have a chat. And I, I sometimes, even though I'm 55, married with grown-up kids myself, hoping to be a granny, but I can't say it too loudly. Even though I'm at that stage, I still think I'd quite like those days where someone just takes care of me. I 100%. When you're ill, I just want my mum to come over with some chicken soup and just loads of food. I remember in COVID, she bought cocoa pops and pancakes. I thought, oh, I'm just being that child again. I just needed that moment. We all need a bit of tender loving care. We all need that bit of love and the best love comes from your parents when they just go that little step further than anyone else would. And it's amazing when they do that. So we've talked about Dom. Let's talk about Cass and his journey. Cassian is 18 years old and there's a part in the book where he's getting so many messages from girls and the attention is all on him. And like you said, with the validation of the likes, but he doesn't really want that. And I'm quite interested in, is it better to have loads of attention or no attention? That's a great question. I think it depends what you're going through and it depends on what feeds you, you know, and we all, we're all just animals that need feeding in different ways. So I am fed by someone spending time with me. For me, that's the biggest investment someone can make, whether that is physically sitting with me, whether it's my husband holding my hand of an evening, whether it's a reader spending time inside one of my books, that is what feeds my soul. Someone spent choosing to spend time with me because you can spend your time in so many ways and time is so precious. So I think it is the most incredible compliment. So when someone says, I've read your book, it's not only the fact that they've bought a book, which is incredible, you know, things are tight right now. That is just for me remarkable, but it's the fact that they've chosen to spend their free time inside my head. I find that the most incredible gift and privilege. Um, 
And I think for a lot of young people, it, it can be in the sort of the reward you get from social media or the high you get from being getting a, a DM, isn't it? Is that, what it, is that the word? That's what the kids call it, yeah, so, DM. That's what the kids call it. I think it can be that, but of course that's very much an instant gratification. It's nothing deferred that you have to earn. And so is, the high is high and short and then the low is possibly lower and quicker which is concerning for mental health. One of the many reasons I think that so many people's mental health is out of whack at the moment. I think that's just one of the reasons. Because, you know, if I liked a boy, I would have to tell my friend or write a note or pluck up the courage or get the same buses in and actually make contact. And it took quite a while. So you'd go through all these steps. So by the time he noticed you, which in my case, he usually didn't, it was almost like you'd earned that uh, that that response but also you felt quite connected to them nowadays I've even noticed with with my own kids I mean they've both got partners now they're both very stable but when they were sort of dating it was very much they would go and look at people's social media so and, and know lots of things about them before we'd even met for a drink and I'm thinking how does that work then would you talk about because you already know you know where they went to school and what they like and what food they eat and, and it, it in some ways I understand we're, we're a fast-paced fast world that I very often feel adrift in. I very often feel too slow for the world around me. But also, I kind of feel we shouldn't be in such a hurry. I wish there was, we've never had so many ways to be connected to so many humans with the press of a button or the opening of an app or the, you know, the, the click or the blink of a camera. But actually, we've never been so lonely because that connection is quite transient and it's not based on anything other than technology and I can see how it can start a relationship I'm not decrying that at all but I just wish it, in this fast-paced world there were ways we could all go a bit slower hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Social media is so dangerous to do with relationships. And, you know, we talk about in your book, Bernie and Winnie, and the way that they met at bus stop and just how simple it was of, is there a bus? No, it's running late. Why don't you go and walk? It's so simple. Such a simple anecdote to how you can have that interaction and actually start forming a relationship. I think maybe our expectations are slightly different. I don't know. I think um, I wasn't ever aware of feeling like I was in a race when I was younger. Um, I mean, I didn't meet the love of my life until I was 38. Um, and I'm very glad I did. And I kissed a few frogs on the way. But I wasn't in a race to be with someone. I wasn't in a race to tick off all those milestones of life. But when I talk to my boys and I talk to their partners and I talk to other people, they tell me that actually they've been a race in a race since they were at school. Mm. It was a race to get the grade. It was a race to get into that set, to make the team, to get to the prom. 
to have the trainers to go on the trip to get the place at uni to study this to go to and I, and they're constantly racing and I'm thinking just stand, stand back just don't do it just just let it all go past you because I think it's the way to ruin I think because you've got to literally and you know it's an old phrase but you've got to run your own race you've got to do it in your own pace and I honestly think that everything works out at the right time you know my life was pretty ropey in ways in certain ways particularly financially before I wrote my first book and I often think gosh you know when Josh was little and we were really struggling financially you know and I was cleaning offices and doing all sorts of horrible jobs wouldn't it be great if I'd had the success I now have but you know what I now realise as I'm older that it came at the right time because I sort of had something to write about and my confidence was better and it felt like the right time. And I just, I do really think that, that, that you know, people talk a lot about manifesting and I think that's great. I think it's just really about singularly looking at one thing you need and want in your life. I think it's really positive just as a way to order your thoughts, not necessarily because there's some mystic force who's going to grant your wishes. It's not like that. Although if anyone has one of those lands, chuck it my way. But I think it's more about just getting your thoughts straight. And the idea that sort of the universe does sort of come up trumps when you need it to, it's a really much calmer, more pleasant idea. And it's a nicer way to live your life rather than feeling you're in, in this endless competition. Again, another reason with so many young people, their mental health is failing. I can't imagine living under that level of pressure. And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm 25 and I've, I've not had a serious boyfriend. Oh my gosh, I'm 28 and I haven't bought a house. Oh my God, I'm 32. And it's like, it's, it's crazy and it's dangerous and it's horrible. It's an unnecessary pressure. And I understand how we get there. And I also understand, you know, for my generation, you know, I'm a working class girl, from an Eastern, you know, an Eastern family, born and lived in a council flat. I could, if I worked very hard, earn my way out of poverty. I could change my life. Now, my boys who are in their late 20s have friends who are junior doctors who are renting rooms in a shared house because that's what they can afford. How do they start a family? How does their life begin? And, and these are people who are in wonderful positions of having great, you know, potential careers and are have close families and friendship groups. How do you get out the blocks? I think it's a, a scary and dangerous time for, for, for lots of people, but particularly for younger people. I completely agree. And like, you know, as you said, you weren't ready to write your books that time. But also, you know, when you were 10 years old, you had all your pelvic operations. That obviously changed everything for you because that set you back socially. You moved to London when you were 22 years old. That set things back for you. So you've always been on your very own journey. And you're right. And it's interesting now in your 50s that you can reflect on that time. Whereas when you're living through it in your 20s and 30s, you think the world's going to end. It only gets to when you're in your 40s and 50s. You can look back and go, I'm glad I waited. Or... I'm glad I didn't have to go through that heartbreak because I might not have been able to live through it. And so we look at these families or we look at people in relationships and go, oh, they're so lucky. The grass is always greener. You open that door, how much misery is in there? How much madness is in there? How much instability and toxicity is in there? But behind closed doors, that is. And yet you're not living in that world. So you're right. It's that relating people to each other. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Comparison, I think, is one of the quickest routes to madness and I'm certainly been guilty of it for a lot of my younger life you know I can remember going to have tea at someone's house and thinking oh stair carpet very fancy you know wouldn't it be lovely to have a stair carpet all oh, people to be awkward on their holiday you know this is marvellous and it just did me no good 
Mm. And I think it's only since I've got older and think, do you know what? I don't care what the rest of the world does. I don't care what anyone does. I just want everyone to be happy. I want everyone to get along as far as is possible. I think that's one of the privileges of being my age and getting older is I certainly care less. But you never know. And actually, the book is very much about that. You know, so there are two families, the Kellaways and the Harrops. The Kellaways have that shiny house on the street with the new cars and they go on a great holiday for a year. I'm thinking of cruise like the one you went on, which was, <laughs> I have to say, as a telly watcher, TV gold. I mean, I was, forget those sunset pictures of you all drinking a cocktail, the bickering at the table. It was like, it was honestly, it was like the most brilliant scripted reality show I've ever seen. And I would pay to watch more of it. Just saying, it was fantastic. Particularly your mum, who I just adore, kind of like having met your mum, I could she's so warm and so wonderful. And to see her sort of wandering into stage left and going, Oh, just want a bread roll. And there's this been this incendiary sort of explosion between you and your sisters. And it's like, yeah, bread roll. And it's like just cast everything down. She's honestly comedy gold without even knowing she is wonderful. You know, that idea that the the Har- that the Kellaways have everything and the Harrops who live in that grotty house on the street, you know, paint peeling from the door, weeds in the garden, overflowing bins. You just assume that they have less and that they're less, they're less happy. And, and maybe they are in some ways. But once we get to the end of the book, my goodness, I know which house I'd rather live in. Oh, absolutely. Well, look, final question for you. Your book, All Good Things, Amanda Prowse, out to buy now. Talk to me about your top <laughs> five good things. What, for you, Amanda Prowse, is your top five things that you go, everything's all right. This is the perfect day for me. Good night's sleep. Oh, my gosh. If I get a good night's sleep, which I regularly do, I just wake up and think how very lucky I am because I know when you don't have good sleep, it can make such a huge difference. Health. You know, my health, oh God, I sound like my nan. I am, I'm turning into my nan, which isn't a bad thing, apart from flatulence. But I think, yeah, I think my health is, is you know, something I really value. Fresh air, <gasps> walking, being outside, amazing. Having a cup of tea, watching rubbish telly with my husband by, by my side. That is my best and happiest place to be. And having people to talk to. I've had times in my life when I've been extremely lonely. And the fact that I now have a network of friends and family and my loved ones, that's everything to me. That was Amanda Prowse. There's so much vulnerability in all good things. Please do go and buy it from every bookshop now. It's so good. And learn about those mental health stories in more depth. And if you love hearing from authors of their favourite novels, then come into the Security Insecure Book Club. Next time, in the fortnight time, we're going to have Nicola Gill, something for beginners. Go and read that now. And then you can listen to the podcast and find out the mental health themes and then see if they relate to what you've got. And I've put in loads of Christmas novels as well to lead you up to November and December for those winter reads. Plus, in the Security Insecure Library, there are episodes with some of my favourite authors, including Adele Parks, Jane Fallon, Tim Weaver, Annabelle Knight, and Nicola Gill, to name a few. And if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, click that subscribe button, leave a five-star rating and leave a review. And then let's keep spreading the word, it's okay to not be okay. So to do that on social media, on TikTok, I'm at Johnny Seafoot 92 on Instagram at Johnny Seafoot and at Circadian Script Podcast, and on Twitter at Johnny Seafoot. I'm sharing so many past teasers of your favourite celebrities with their little bits of vulnerability as they keep spreading the word, it's okay to not be okay. So welcome into the Circadian Secure Club, welcome to the Circadian Secure Book Club, and let's keep spreading the word, it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seafoot, thank you so much for listening, until next time thank you and goodbye